Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you are listening to this sermon online, I want to welcome you and thank you for listening. It means so much that people are listening to this truth I hope that you're not just listening to me. I hope you're listening to God anywhere someone is speaking truth from his word. I hope you're studying his word for yourself using the resources we provide or that other people provide. But it means so much to me that you're actually listening to this. And I want to welcome you, the online listener this morning, let you know that this particular message was preached live, but something went wrong. We weren't able to record it. So where you'd normally hear me greeting the people, I'm greeting you instead. But this is the first message in a series on God's moral boundaries called What God Wants, coming from the very beginning of 2020. And here's where we begin. God's God's moral boundaries work like planes, trains, and automobiles. You might remember a movie of that name. This has nothing to do with that movie at all. What it does have to do with are actual planes and trains and automobiles, or at least something very specific we can learn by watching them. If you've ever seen a plane on the ground, it's kind of pathetic. They're awkward, they're big, they're slow. They're just not designed to be driven around. When you see them up in the air, it's a different story. They're doing what they were designed to do, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing. Same thing with trains. If you see a derailed train, it's a pathetic and sad sight that takes hours, sometimes days, to get things going again. But when they stay on their tracks, they can move incredible amounts of weight and just accomplish an incredible amount of work over and over again, day after day, and it's amazing. Automobiles are another great example. There are such things as off-road automobiles, off-road vehicles, and that's a whole other thing. But most of us spend most of the time in vehicles actually driving on roads, and they have lines, they have signs, they have lights, they have rules, they have speed limits. And all of this is because if we didn't, It'd just be mass chaos. Things would not work well. Here's a bottom line truth for the way God's moral boundaries work. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do them. Let me say that one more time. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way that they were designed to do them. We must live within God's moral boundaries. The two key words in that statement, we must live within God's moral boundaries, are the words live and the word God's. It's got to be God's boundaries. It's not yours. It's not mine. The the boundaries that work best are not the ones that we create for ourselves. They are the ones that are created by our creator. And God's desire is that we find a rich and satisfying life. We know this because Jesus himself said that in John 10 Verse 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, A thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And brothers and sisters, God's rules are designed to maximize our lives. We only reach our full potential when we follow the way, the truth, the life, which is Jesus Christ himself. 
This morning we're talking about truth specifically. We're beginning where we have to begin. That truth for Christians, for those who follow Jesus Christ, has to begin with his words himself. And this claim that he made that he is the way. He designs the boundaries. He determines them, not us. That he is the truth. That whatever else we believe about anything has to parallel what he is saying. It has to balance against it. It has to match. It has to somehow harmonize. It has to either, one way or another, we, our truth has to be his truth or we're, we're wrong. As followers of Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and therefore the life. We live best when we follow his rules. This is a pretty bold claim. I like how C.S. Lewis says this. Very famous quote from him. I'm going to read most of it verbatim. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And brothers and sisters, that is where any real biblical discussion of moral boundaries has to begin. We ultimately have to balance anything else we think or believe or feel or observe or have heard against what Jesus himself said. And people are always challenging Jesus. In Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, we read, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then Jesus adds a second one. The guy didn't ask for it, but Jesus adds it, and there's a reason. Jesus said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is a keyhole moment, one of several that God gives us within the scriptures. This is one of those moments where God gives us a little glimpse, and he goes, if you look through this, if you see it this way, if you, if you look at it from this perspective... The whole rest of it makes sense. There are three of these keyhole moments that we're going to walk through every week in one way or another throughout this series. I want to introduce you to them this morning. They should sound really familiar. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. This one is one. You never see anywhere in Scripture that loving God and loving people are separated. That's always the same thing. We show our love to God by treating other people with respect. We show Respect for the sanctity of life because people are made in God's image. That is a consistent thing. Another keyhole uh, moment that we're going to look through every single time in this series is Micah chapter 6 verse 8. The Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you. 
to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me read that one more time. Micah 6, 8. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's the third little keyhole or window or portal or whatever you want to call it. This is one more perspective that kind of unlocks the rest of this stuff for us. Jesus himself gave us this in John chapter 15, where he paints a beautiful picture of a garden and where the gardener, the one with the plan, the one who designed the garden, the one who has a vision for what it's supposed to produce is God himself. And Jesus says that he is the grapevine. He's the one that is the structure, the one that all of the, all of the strength and all of the purpose has to come through him. And then he says that we are the branches. When I preached this live, I had a zoomed in picture of a vine, a grapevine, and looking at what we call the branches of a grape. And when I hear the word branches, I tend to think of something really big and strong, like the branches of a tree. I think of something I could climb on, something I could cut off and build something powerful or strong out of. That is not the kind of branches he's talking about here. The branches of a grape vine are basically little twigs. You, you cut them off of the vine, they really are completely useless. They only have purpose when they are attached to the vine and the sap is throwing through them and they are growing actual grapes. When they're disconnected, they really have no innate value. And that is the point of this little keyhole moment of this illustration, this metaphor that Jesus is using here. Now, before we go any further, I want to uh, confess that I actually told everyone something that wasn't true the week before I preached this sermon. I told them in the sermon before this one that it was Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I, I spent a lot of time talking about that issue. Um, I was wrong. I'm not very good with dates. And part of being all about the truth is being willing to admit when you're wrong. So I am admitting that here. As I'm recording this today, it's not Sanctity of Life Sunday either, but it was today. I taught this, and I want to go back and revisit that idea one more time. This is how truth works. This is how we use truth. This is how we measure truth. I want to say it just as plainly and clearly as I can here. This is not a political statement. Excuse me. This is not a political statement. When Christians look at God's word and we measure what we believe and what we do against his truth, that's it. That's what we're doing. We try to see what his word says. We try to understand it, period, as best as we possibly can. Then we choose what to do about that. How do we apply that? What do we do next? And what I'm sharing with you this morning is not what choice you should make about this issue, but what God's word says about it. And I hope that the choices that you make politically or otherwise, are based on what God's word says about it, not about any other issue. That's as political as I'll ever get. Here we go. Sanctity of life is based on the idea that all human beings are created in the image of God. God is very clear that all human beings, born and unborn, every kind, every color, every place, every nation on this earth, every single human being is made in his image. The first place we see this in scripture is Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's a whole other deep thing, but it's kind of hard to misunderstand the basic truth there. And this goes all the way through the scripture. Toward the end of the New Testament, we see James kind of casually referring to it. It's stated very clearly other places. But James is actually talking about the danger of misusing our tongues. And he says, an evil tongue praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Which means any other human being ever. Which is another reason why I'm telling you this morning, this is not political. This is not me telling you to yell at people. It's the opposite of that. Another thing that's very consistent throughout the scripture is that taking a human life for selfish reasons is murder. When God says in the Ten Commandments, you must not murder, he's not saying you cannot kill anything ever anywhere. He's not talking about animals. He's not talking about that the act of killing itself is sin what he's saying is when we kill for selfish reasons it is jesus himself in the new testament actually equates just living in anger and unforgiveness with the same it's just as wrong it's basically the same thing as murder it's that selfishness it's that brokenness it's that i will get my way regardless even if it means taking someone out of the picture We can see this in Exodus chapter 20 is where we actually see the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 22, here's a clarification already. It says this, If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. I hope that makes sense. Here's the second fundamental truth we've got to apply, not only to this idea of truth, that God does hold all human life sacred, and we dare not murder the innocent, born or unborn. But the second major truth is this. God's grace and mercy covers every sin. God's grace and mercy covers every sin. Every sin, including murder of any kind. And if you or someone you know has been part of abortion, that is not the end of your story. That is not unforgivable. God's grace and mercy extends to you. But as with every other sin, every other moral boundary God has ever set up, his dream is not just to keep forgiving us. He's not an idiot. He's not okay with sin. And if you want to fix this in any way, if God is calling you to somehow somehow make a difference in this issue, I want you to know that God's big dream is not to just change the laws of the land. Just from a logical standpoint, whatever country you live in, whatever community you live in, whatever influence you have, of course, as a Christian, you should try to do whatever you can, whatever you feel like God is leading you to do, especially to make life look the way he wants it to look. But God's dream is not that we change the laws of our government as much as it is that we live out his love day to day ourselves. And love is not just something where you forbid something. It's not just making something illegal or making something legal for whatever reason. Love, scripturally, consistently, is tangible. It's feeding people who need fed. It's sheltering people who need shelter. It is adopting people who 
cannot, don't have a home to go to. It is empowering people to give a home to a child that they think that they cannot give. It's hard. It's messy. But Jesus Christ says that when we serve the least of these, that we're serving Jesus himself. The week before I gave this particular message live at Morrison Hill, I had referred to this same truth and I'd referred also to Matthew 25 where Jesus used that phrase. And I want to clarify one more time that when Jesus says the least of these, he's not talking about God's view of them. He's not talking about how God values them. God doesn't value anyone higher or lower than anyone else. There is no most valuable or least valuable from God's perspective. Jesus is using that phrase to talk about the people that other people think are less valuable. And he's also talking about people who are less or completely unable to help themselves. The least of these are the helpless. The least of these are the innocent. The least of these are the people that God wants us to help. My friend Seth Gunter uh, pointed out that this moment where Jesus is talking in this sheep and the goat story in Matthew 25 is kind of like undercover boss, where at the end of each episode, the, the person that they thought was this just really obnoxious intern takes off the disguise and says, well, actually, I'm the CEO of the company, or I'm the president, or whatever. I'm your boss. And what a dirty trick. But I want you to, t- I want you to know, I see what he's saying. It actually made me laugh out loud. He he makes me laugh a lot. But this is the truth. This is not a secret. This is consistent. This idea of love the Lord your God and love others never being separate is consistent throughout the scripture. This idea of Jesus telling us, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me, that's pretty consistent throughout the scripture. We shouldn't be surprised at the end. It shouldn't be a well-actually moment. He's told us far in advance. Let's return now to our big metaphor of the grapevine, the the garden. Let's go back there. This is John 15, verses 1 to 3. Jesus himself is talking and he says, I am the true grapevine. (coughs) Excuse me. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. At the end of that chapter, he says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. Let me pause there for a moment. I love these two titles that he uses here for the Holy Spirit. Throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is given several titles, just like Jesus and God are. And there we, we call him the Holy Spirit most of the time. But here Jesus is saying the idea that he is the spirit of truth and also our advocate is integral to this metaphor he's using. Over the next several weeks, this will make a lot more sense. I just want to point that out to you this morning. But I will send you the advocate, says Jesus, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify all about me. We dare not keep the truth to ourselves. We dare not keep the truth to ourselves. Here's a little life hack. One more derail. 
before we start wrapping this up in a few minutes, I want to give you just a couple of really practical things that have to do with the issue of truth. Uh, they're, they're kind of a subset of God's big idea of the truth, Jesus basing everything on him. But these are very practical, and I hope it helps you as much as it helps me. First comes from Thumper, the little rabbit in the movie Bambi. Many of you might remember that. But he first meets Bambi and he says something derogatory like he's kind of wobbly, isn't he? I think that's what he says. But what I remember and what almost everybody remembers from that scene is his mom gives him one of those evil mom looks. And he sa says, what? Wait, wait. What does your dad say? Or something like that. Here, here's what he says. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. If I misquoted that barely, I'm sorry, but you get the drift. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And this is one of the most powerful life hacks I can give you this morning. Because to tell the truth definitely includes the idea that we cannot ever lie. Not even white lies. Not lying, not saying good things behind somebody's back to try to cover up what you really feel. Lies are not there. But sometimes, listen... If you really love someone and you really care about the other people in your friend group, the other people in your family, the other people in your church, and you really care about them, sometimes saying absolutely nothing at all is the truest and most loving thing you can, quote unquote, say. And I encourage you to practice that. If someone is really corrupt, if someone is really wrong, don't paint this fake picture about them, then you're lying. Don't spread all the nastiness that you know. You don't need to share all the gross stuff about them. There's no reason that you just need to volunteer that information. Sometimes just saying nothing at all is the truest and best thing you can do. Mark Twain, here's another nugget of truth from him. He says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. I love that. If you, if you don't have a bunch of cover stories, if you're not telling one person this and another person this and another person this and keeping track of who they all talk to and making sure there's a way to keep all those stories harmonious, life is just better. It's one of the reasons Jesus says to tell the truth, period. But again, what he's really wanting us to do here is more than just the kind of truth that's not a lie. It's the truth. It's what makes everything else in the world make sense. It's, it's the truth that is given to us by our creator and our designer, God himself. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 8, 32, when he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's talking about the truth himself. And the truth doesn't just set us free to do whatever we want, to say whatever we want, think whatever we want. The truth sets us free so we can produce fruit. The truth keeps us free from all the distractions, from all the other things that could tear us apart, all the untrue or broken or just weak or just not as important things that keep us from what we're here to do. In Joshua chapter 7 there are two really sad stories that kind of have to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, you, you probably could figure this out, but Joshua 7 comes right after Joshua 6. And Joshua 6 is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the fall of Jericho, where they march around every day, and on the last day they march around several times and scream, and the walls come tumbling down, and that whole thing. Amazing, wonderful moment for God, for his people, for Joshua as a leader. It's a wonderful moment 
Joshua 7 happens right after that. And they're still kind of high from the whole experience. And they come to this next little town called Ai. And they just don't even pray about it. They just assume that God is wanting them to take that place out. They assume that since he's on their side, they don't even need to worry about it. They can just do what they think they should do. That's simply not true. So important that as we go day to day, even things we think make sense, excuse me, even things that just make so much sense to us, and we're like, I don't even need to pray about that. I just know that this has to be God's will. That is dangerous waters. God's truth, what is real, what is powerful, what his real will is, is much deeper than it's not a lie. Second story in Joshua chapter 7 is the story of a man named Achan. In Joshua 6, God had told them that no one was allowed to take any treasure, any souvenirs, any, anything at all from Jericho. Well, Achan kind of justified taking a little bit. He thought it through and it made some sense to him. And, and it kind of makes sense to me too, to be honest. We all justify sins sometimes or we'd never do them right? And yet that was not okay. He missed the deeper truth that God is in control and God means what he says. And whether we understand his moral boundaries or not, whether our little jukes around those moral boundaries make sense to us or not, God is the one who actually determines what is true, what is real. God is the one who knows the truth. And we've always got to come back to that. Achan, and his entire family found out the hard way that that is true. I love what Winston Churchill said about truth. He said, malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. I also like what Ice Cube said about truth. He said, truth is the ultimate power. When the truth comes around, all the lies have to run and hide. You may not be a big fan of Winston Churchill or Ice Cube. You may not re really believe everything any of them say. But I'm telling you what, those two statements are true. Malice may attack truth, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. We can't change what's actually true. We can just not believe it. That's all we can do. We don't change whether it's true or not. And truth is the ultimate power. When truth comes around, all the lies have to run and hide. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that um, leaders of a church, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I'm reading straight out of the text at this moment. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
This idea of not only living out God's will for us, to actually make sure that we are living within his moral boundaries, but like a train on its tracks, like a car that stays in its lane, like an airplane staying in the air most of the time instead of trying to drive on the interstate. That when we live this way, and we also intentionally share the truth about Jesus, that God really can change us, that we become more convinced we experience life to the full and we allow everyone around us to also have a chance to do that. I want you to know as you're listening to this this morning that every strategy we have for Morrison Hill Christian Church in 2020 has to do with this idea. That not like we've never been trying to do any of this before, but that more than ever, We are trying to live out God's dreams for his global church. From as best as we can, from our perspective here at Morrison Hill, we are trying our best to do that. We're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to reach out. We want to be defined as a church who actually lives what they say they believe. As a church who shares what they believe, what they know to be true in love. Uh, The first Sunday series for adults this entire year is a series called God's Face. And we're inviting everyone to be part of that. It's, it's just practical training about how to share the gospel, how to reach out to people, how to cross that bridge, and how to actually just speak the truth in love. And what the kids are learning in GLOW, what the teenagers are learning at the Hill, uh, all of these things are so vital to uh, all of these visions that we're sharing, these two visions that we're sharing this morning. We want to live out God's will on this earth, and we want to share the truth with intention, with clarity, with love, and we want to do it effectively. Life is too short to waste on filler. We want to live out his truth. So here's my invitation to you this morning as I stop talking and you're left wherever you are listening to this recording. How, how are you going to re- respond to Jesus's truth this morning? Is Jesus Christ really the center of your life? Is he really the center of what you believe? Does his way, his truth define your life? Is your life rooted in him? If it's not, Whatever you need to do to make that true, I I urge you, I beg you, I pray for you, literally, that you will make that choice. And if there's anything that we can do, or I personally can do, uh, you probably have my, my contact information if you're hearing this online. I invite you to contact Morrison Hill Christian Church or contact me personally so that we can help. But respond to the truth. Do it however God is leading you to do right now. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.